0: Do you remember what we talked about last week? Some of you would have remembered it. We talked about the temple and how the temple's just not an Old Testament thing that we kind of go, oh, that was really cool, and the cubits and how many gold hangers are in it. It's actually very valuable for us today. That the Old Testament temple was a place that people went to. The New Testament temple is housed with you and me. God decided to use the temple as a place that people would, would go to and, and meet his presence there. Now, God uses us, his people, to bring the presence of him to the communities that we live in. We said last week that King Solomon erected the, the temple. We, we talked about how God shows up in that building for the very first time in human history. That was the, the place he attached his presence to a physical place. Up until that point, you could never tell where God was going to be, where he was going to appear. And for the very first time, the Old Testament people, the, the, the God of the Old Testament, the Jewish people had a place that they could go to and know that you would be able to understand or Understand that God was going to be there. Here's what 2 Corinthians 6.16 said, and we highlighted this verse last week. What agreement is there between the temple of God and the idols? For we, here's what Paul's saying to us, for you and me are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Quoting from the Old Testament so we know the temple is gone but the temple principle still remains we said these two things and they're going to come up on the screen we said the temple of god needs to be visible king solomon and david they didn't build it kind of in a bunker it wasn't hidden it it was something that everybody would look at and go wow there's the temple And not only was it visible, we then said that it needed to be a house of prayer. And we challenged ourselves that prayer is going to be what drives us, especially as we walk through the summer and as we prepare for the fall and our ministries here at daybreak, prayer has to be the the key focus. Now 2 Chronicles 7, verse 15 and 16, God said this, and this would have been so uh, exciting for the people. My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Talking about the temple. I have chosen, I've consecrated, I've dedicated this temple so that my name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So remember the burning bush? Remember God appearing like a a cloud of fire? Suddenly God saying to the Old Testament people, my heart and my eyes and my ears will always be in that place. You and I have to understand that whatever was true about the temple should be true about us today. Remember that verse, a light on a hill. You might remember that from from different places where you've you've been in church. We're called to be a light on a hill. Matthew five fourteen says, "You, you and me, are the light of the world." A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, here's the temple principle. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify or understand your Father in heaven. See, one of the problems today is not that people aren't interested in the gospel. The problem is they're interested in seeing visible temples. So many people have got questions, but they don't know where to go with these questions. And so one of the things that we need to be at daybreak, that we need to be at Renfrew, is we need to be places of prayer, and we need to be visible. God does not respond to our perfection. At different times, we might wrestle with that where we, we go, okay, I'm not good enough to be a temple. I'm like a temple that has all the scaffolding built up around it, and it's going to take time. No, God does not respond to yours or my perfection. God always responds to my prayers. Now, it might not be a yes, it might be a no, it might be, Matt, you need to wait, but God always responds to our prayer. Praise God that we have visible temples, and praise God for temples that are full of prayer. Today we're going to talk about the temple as a holy place. Our temple needs to be this for the world. Well, what does was holy actually mean? Psalm 11, verse 4, David penned these words, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. He, his eyes examine him. Now, the, the interesting thing is, I, I was saying to Mark today as I walked in, I'm feeling a little old today. And, and my summers, I spent a lot of it at camp. And so most of my days, the last few weeks, have had 30,000 or more steps involved in them. Uh, it helps to sleep, but the body is not as... As young as it used to be, I said to Maris earlier this week, I said, I just don't feel like I have the stamina anymore. But the camp that, that I have, I work at is a part of the Church of the Nazarene. So, just like we would be a part of the Baptist, this church, this camp is part of the Church of the Nazarene. They're very passionate, Church of the Nazarene are very passionate about the concept of holiness. Now, they define holiness. I'm going to read this a couple times. This is where we can suddenly go into you know Bible school here. The theology of holiness is a deep and rich doctrine with widespread implications for how we live, there's the holy piece, and how we see the world. Okay, so Church of Nazarene goes like this. Holiness is defined as how you and I live, the things we do, our behaviors, and how we see the world. Put most simply, we believe that the power of God is greater than the power of sin. God calls us to be holy and empowers us to be holy in this life. Okay? So holiness is something that we're working toward. Now, we don't refer to holiness a ton as Baptists. Okay? That's okay. Baptists hold to the truth of Scripture as one of our tenets. But I do believe the concept of holiness is so misunderstood in the Christian community. You see, every religion aspires for some level of holiness. That's the common thread. You can't find one religious system, one, idol- one ideology that doesn't have holiness as its main goal. Okay? So we're called to live a better life. Holiness, as in being forgiven... Holiness as being invited by the deity, by the Godhead. Holiness as being clean and being pure. If we study every religion, you will see that they all have one thing in common. There is a ladder somewhere in that system. You try and climb higher on that ladder by doing good things or the right things. You work hard and you hope everything pans out. Every other religion, apart from the gospel of Jesus, is using the ladder in the same way. Work really hard, and you'll become more holy. The goal is that man needs to climb up the ladder, and eventually we'll find holiness somewhere up there. You climb in different ways. You might climb by fasting, by meditating, by giving, by praying in a certain direction— a certain t- a number of times in a day, but it's basically all the same thing. Here's the difference with the gospel. The gospel, what you have to realize is there is a ladder in the gospel too, but it's used in a different way. It's not you and I climbing up, it's God climbing down to us. It's God looking at you and me saying, they can never make it, they'll be completely unable to produce holiness through their own good works, So I, God, am going to come down, I'm going to take you by the arm, and I'm going to help you climb up again. I'm going to sit, I'm going, uh, sorry, I'm going to sit you in Christ on the right hand of the Father, and you'll be given holiness as a gift and not as a reward for a job well done. Stay with me. Friends, what this means is according to the gospel of Jesus, holiness is not our final destination. It's where we start. It's not where we'll end up one day. It's what you get because of the cross. I love reading this about Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1. When Jesus comes up out of the river Jordan and heaven splits open and the Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove, there's a voice that says this, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Church, church, realize this, it is not saying because Jesus, you did all these right things. It's not at the end of Jesus's ministry as a reward for him preaching really good messages or healing a lot of sick people or raising a lot of dead people. It's right at the start of his ministry before he preached one single sermon. God says, I am pleased with you. You are my beloved son. It's not a reward for a job well done. It's his point of origin. It's the same thing with you. Holiness is not a reward for a job well done. Holiness as a gift of God in Christ to you from the very first day that you start out your journey with Jesus. Friends, can we be thankful for that concept? Thank you, Jesus. You can ask me, does that mean I don't have to work? I don't have to work on my weaknesses? Thank God I came to church today. I don't have to work on my character. This is the best message ever, Matt. I don't have to work on the way I talk? No, you need to. You see, what we do when we do that is not working for holiness to be perfected, we're working for holiness to be reflected. Let me say that again. When we actually commit to working out our salvation, working out our holiness, we're not working for our holiness to suddenly be perfected. We're asking our holiness to be reflected to the world. It needs to be shown to the world through our lifestyle, through our priorities, through our words, through what we say and what we don't say, through our attitudes and everything that is about our lifestyle. So friends today, hear this. Holiness is not about your point of destination. Holiness is where you start. Let me just say one more thing about holiness. Your circumstances. Here on earth will never be able to pollute your holiness unless you allow them to or let them to. You can go through really rough times. That doesn't have to pollute your holiness. It's like a boat. The boat does not sink because of the water that is outside of the boat. The boat can sink due to the water that's allowed inside of the boat. You can go through tough times in life, but you can keep your heart pure. You can refuse disappointment and bitterness and hatred and revenge to enter into your heart. When you do that, your holiness is preserved. And there's going to be power inside of your heart for you to overcome whatever comes your way. You can never hold a holy temple back. Whatever the devil decides to throw in your face, God will give you the power to endure it. And as you do, he will pour out your holiness upon you. And you will come out stronger on the other side. You need to understand that was true about the temple back then. And it's true about the temple right here and now. Here's a, a thing I want you to understand about today. The temple was always a place of miracles. If we went back a chapter into Second Chronicles chapter 6... It summarized how whoever comes to the temple would have a life-changing experience. Time and time and time again, verse and verse, one verse after another, it says, if you're sick and you come to the temple, you'll be healed. If you're broken and you come to the temple, you'll be mended. If you lack peace, peace will be given to you as you come to the temple. Now, Daybreak, I want you to hear this really clearly. Is this what we're striving for here? Seriously. Is this what our building is used for? Is this what our neighbors would say about us? The temple was a place of divine exchange, a divine miracle. If that was the temple back then, then that needs to be the temple right here and now. I really want to ask you, church, because, you know, this is what I found. That when you start walking with God, you start to have a natural expectancy of miracles. Because you and I have a ton of needs. Either you're young or when you're new in the game with Jesus, and there's needs all over the place, and you suddenly go, Lord, I I don't have money. I need a miracle. I don't have a job. I need a miracle. I'm not married. I need a miracle. Whatever is your problem, there's always obvious needs around you inspiring God, inspiring you to ask God continuously for a miracle. But they might end up later in your life. All of a sudden, the younger we are or the newer we are in our relationship with Jesus, we need God all the time. But the older we get, we suddenly can figure it out ourselves. We don't need a miracle for our daily survival anymore. Maybe we actually have some money in our bank. Maybe we actually have a job. Maybe we have a family now. The most immediate needs in our life are met. But then you have two choices, friends. Either you step back when it comes to expecting miracles and you stop asking God for miracles because you can actually get, pre- you can actually get along pretty well by yourself the love from your family is good enough. You realize that God's miraculous power is not there for your needs alone. And you just kind of move on. That's one choice. A lot, that's a choice a lot of us make. Or the second choice is this. We start praying for the needs of others. See, the miraculous power in the temple of the 21st century is not primarily there for us it's there for others and you and i look at the world every day and go there is a world full of needs the world is so full of needs of people who need jesus and you and i need to break out of our self-centered christianity we need to be temples that expect miracles not for ourselves but to share with other people how are we doing with that Years ago, when I was at Grace Baptist Church, there was a coffee shop that was about a block away from the church. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker. I, like, I, I have a cup of coffee. A Keurig machine is great. For some of you that go, no, we only French press. That's fine. so so uh, mine comes out of a plastic cup. Uh, gas station coffee is good. Like, all of those kind of things. And the youth ministry team that I was leading, we decided that uh, every few days we'd go have coffee at this coffee shop. None of us were coffee drinkers. And in there, there was a, a woman by the name of Brenda, and, and Brenda owned the coffee shop, and we'd go at a time when nobody was in the coffee shop, and Brenda just would have questions with us, and Brenda started to attend our church. And she started to bring friends, and the interesting thing with Brenda bringing friends is she brought friends that really don't fit in the church. Like she would introduce, hey, Pastor Matt, this is my gay friend. And she'd say it really loud. And I'm thinking, oh, please don't say that out loud. Because what's our church going to think? And as I spent time with Brenda, she introduced me to the, the person she was living with, which was named Keith. And she said, we'd love to get Married, and could you, our pastor, marry us in our backyard? And as I got introduced in the backyard, this is my pastor. Now, the interesting thing is she's introducing me as her pastor, but she has not accepted Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. She was just starting to understand about Jesus, and Brenda moved away to Dallas with her and Keith, and she started to attend the church there heartland community church where if you listen to christian music on the radio phillips craig and dean dan dean she attended dan dean's church and all of a sudden a a few years went by and and i got a call from brenda saying matt you need to come to you need to come and visit us in texas and i was like sure well why am i coming to visit you because i want to get baptized and i want you to be there See, that's temple. Now, I could have felt ripped off and I joked with Dan Dean going, man, like I spent years with Brenda. She just shows up on your doorstep and accepts Jesus. How's that work? But you see, a temple isn't the place anymore. It's not Matt. It's not Michelle. It's not Maris. It's all of us together. And if we at daybreak, whether it's, with spins, whether it's with good food box, whether it's with Sunday morning, whether it's with something we create on a Wednesday, whether it's with the urban farm, if we can show people Jesus, then Airdrie will be changed. But remember, holiness is our starting place. It's our job just to reflect it. Friends, that's what Christianity is all about. That's what being a temple is all about. You're going to see a line come up on the screen. This is the most important line you can hear today. There is no greater miracle that we can give to this world as temples than the miracle of salvation. Out of all the miracles in the world, and there's some pretty cool ones, healing, And there's where God provides, and he's Jehovah Jireh in huge ways. There's no greater gift than we can give to the world than the miracle of salvation. When the human heart is opened up and Christ moves in with eternal life and forgiveness and peace. So friends, at daybreak, let's commit our lives to be visible temples. To be temples full of prayer. To live our lives as holy temples. And in return, make sure that we're temples full of miracles. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you call us to be 21st century temples in this world. And Father, we pray for the grace to follow you wherever you want us to go. Lead us. Father, to be witnesses, to be visible temples, to pray constantly for your glory to be seen and reflected in our lives. To be holy temples and see that holiness reflected, to expect miracles, to expect the miracle of salvation wherever we go. That we pray all of this in your mighty, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.